looking at Matthew chapter 5 and 6, and, and even in your notes, if you're following along there, you'll see some things to go into chapter 7. We're not reading all of that, so don't, don't worry about that. I better put that away, huh? Father's Day is a day that we honor Dad for all that he means to us and does for us. We send him a card or we buy him a tie, cook him his favorite meals. We love Dad and we, this time of year we tell him so. Father's Day can be a frustrating time for some people. For them, the relationship with Dad is not a good one. Unfortunately, for various reasons, many people grow up without a father around or experience a very poor representation of one. Memories of what a father is are not happy ones for them, and many have an inaccurate understanding of what being a father means because of them. If you had the privilege of being in a home with a good father around, one who cared for you, one who taught you how to do stuff, held you, played with you, provided for you, be very thankful for that, man. Because not everyone knows what that's like. I read an interesting statistic this week. According to a 2010 U.S. Census, one in three kids, 24.7 million children live absent from their biological father. That's a shame. One in three kids don't know who dad is. Don't have an active relationship with him. Regardless of what your experience has been, and consequently what your understanding of a father is, there's one father who is everything that a father should be. Our Heavenly Father is the perfect example for every man who holds the title of dad. And so for the sake of his own children, Every man should copy this pattern. In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, we, we know it as the Sermon on the Mount. It's got uh, very famous passages in it, the Beatitudes and all the blessed and all that stuff. And in fact, the last few weeks we've been centering on chapter 6 when we're talking about prayer, the Lord's Prayer is there, and, and uh, many other famous passages. But these three chapters here, Jesus introduces this idea very foreign and very brand new to the people at this time, he introduced the idea of God as a heavenly father. If you do a search for the word father in reference to God, it doesn't appear until chapter 5. Up until this point, all throughout the Old Testament, God was not considered the father. He was God. He is, as the song, God and God alone. I mean, very high and reverent and come and Take the, the take your shoes off. This is holy ground relationship. Don't um, don't. Uh, there's not a there's not a. It's not casual. It's not it's not a um, a father son relationship or father child relationship. And all of a sudden, in Matthew five, Jesus throws out this word. And I went through and I highlighted every time that Jesus used the word father. In three chapters, almost about fifteen times, give or take, maybe once or twice. Um, I might have missed missed it, but. Uh, about 15 times Jesus uses this term, and even as we'll look today, uses human examples of fatherhood to show us the relationship that we can have with God. One of the purposes of Jesus' message here, and the purpose of His life, was not only to show people who God is, but to show them that He is their Father, and He wants to have that type of relationship with them. It's not a, I have to be afraid of you, God. It's, I want to be near you, God. You remember going all the way back to the Old Testament 
the Israelites have been wandering in the, in the desert for a little bit. And Moses uh, is about to go up and receive the Ten Commandments. But before that happens, and the reason that Moses went up there is because God speaks and the entire uh, nation hears God speak. Can you imagine what that would be like? Much more attracting than anything else probably you've ever heard. Everyone would stop what they're doing. Who is that? And I'm sure you have to figure out pretty quickly, this is God. I mean, uh, th- th- this voice, and he begins to tell them, and I believe he only tells them one or two of the commandments, maybe the first two commandments, but he, he, but he, he, he gives this, he gives this, this opportunity for the people of Israel to hear him, and the people are afraid. They said, let not God speak with us lest we die. They said, Moses, you go up on top of the mountain and you get the rest of them. We can't bear to hear this. Not that they were tired of hearing what he had to say, but it was a fearful thing. And and and, and this idea throughout the Old Testament, uh, and partially misunderstood, I think, but that God is this God to be afraid of. And yeah, if you're in sin, just like the police, we're not supposed to be afraid of the police, but we usually are when we're doing something wrong, right? I'm not afraid if I'm in trouble. I'm not afraid of the policemen showing up. I'm glad that they're there. But when I'm doing something I'm not supposed to do and the policemen show up, yeah, I'm afraid. And that's the same thing with God. But God comes as a loving Heavenly Father all the way at the very beginning of the, of the, of the Bible in Genesis with Adam and Eve. Though He's not called that, He has always wanted that relationship with His people. And now Jesus, God's Son, God Himself, comes down to earth in the form of a man and He begins to introduce this, this new relationship with the people. And He says, your Father, your Heavenly Father. In fact, the very first time, if you want to uh, peek back there in verse 16 of chapter 5, He says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Glorify your Father. And it's almost like He slipped it in there and He doesn't use it for uh, about 20 verses or so. And then we get down to the verses that we read today, verses verses. 44 through 48, he uses it a couple more times, and he just really starts throwing it in there in chapter 6, and then he backs off a little bit towards the end of chapter 6, and then he sneaks it in there one more time and uh, before chapter seven's over. And I wonder what the people must have thought when he began to use this familial terminology. Can you say that? You know, when people say that, you're like, are you allowed to do that? One of the reasons people had a problem with Jesus is because he called himself the Son of God, making himself equal with God. They killed him for it because they thought, you can't do that. That's not who God is. That's not someone that, that, that God is not someone that you can equate yourself with. And obviously Jesus can do that. But Jesus comes and says, I want to teach you about this, this person that you've kind of known, but not in this way. God, your heavenly Father. We're centering the, the theme of this message here on the last verse in, in chapter five. He said, Be therefore perfect as your heavenly, as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. This morning, I want to just share with you a couple, Jesus' idea of the perfect dad. If anybody has the right idea of the perfect father, it would be Jesus Christ. Speaking many times throughout the New Testament and the Gospels to his heavenly father. He knows what the perfect father is, and it's not unattainable, dads. This word perfect, in fact, is not necessarily sinless. It's not what we're thinking of. I never make a mistake. I believe I made, I started making mistakes as a father before my kids were born. <laughs> I mean, I, I've, I've made mistakes every day. I, I, there's many times I have to go on. A, isn't that one of the hard things to do? You ever apologize to your kids? You do something wrong? That's tough. 
you know, and they, they remember. I mean, they're not so good at forgiving and forgetting. They, they might forgive you, but they, were, they remind me every once in a while. I know, shut up. And forgive me for saying shut up. <laughs> I'm not a perfect dad, but God is. And God wants us to pattern our parenting dads after him. Now, this doesn't just apply to the dads this morning. We have a heavenly father, and, and he wants that relationship with us. So let's just look this morning, three main things about our Heavenly Father, and then um, we'll go. Number one, a father loves unconditionally. A father loves unconditionally. We read that passage already, Matthew 5, 44-48. Let me just bring out a couple of thoughts here as, as we're going. Let me just read back through it a little bit. We get down in verse number 45, and again, he's been talking about love, okay? Loving your enemies. Jesus is saying, I want you to love your enemies. Not just the people that are lovely. I want you to love the people who are unlovely. That would be your enemies. And notice what he says. This is why I want you to love your enemies. Verse 45. That ye may be the children of your father. Second time he's ever used that word in reference to God. And he says, love your enemies so that you can be the children of your father. Notice, which is in heaven. Notice why. For he maketh his son to rise upon the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. He's saying, your heavenly Father does this. Does it rain only on godly people? Does does God only send rain to the godly farmer's crops? No, it rains on everyone. Does God only let the sun shine on the just? No, He lets it shine on all. Unless you're from Washington. I mean, nobody gets sunshine out there, believe me. Uh, We rust out there. We don't die. We just rust because it's so rainy and, 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 you know. But God says, uh, I... I give sun and rain to everybody. I don't bait. That's not merit-based stuff. Now, yes, God does have it. We, there are not, not everyone is God's child and God does bless his children maybe more abundantly than, than others, but God loves unconditionally. John 3.16, God so loved the world. God loved everybody. And then he gave his only begotten son. He didn't give it for the good people because he told us in Romans chapter five and six, he says, none of you are good but I'll die anyway. But I'll give anyway. I will love unconditionally. His love is generous. We saw that in verse 45. Sending rain and sunshine on both the wicked and the bad. He is good to all and benevolent to all regardless of their behavior or standing. In verse 48, we see about His love that it's not only generous, but it's perfect. The word perfect there means complete or mature or uh, lacking nothing. It doesn't need anything else. It's done. Much like an artist would paint something and say, it's perfect, it's completed, it's done. Uh, much like the uh, maybe ladies, you cook a meal and it's done, right? Sometimes a little too well done, but some, it's done. Uh, you know, I call that perfect, but I heard a, I heard a joke, uh, maybe you've heard it, but uh, the, guy, the, 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 the guy said, my wife, she treats me like God. And, and the guy said, what do you mean? He goes, well, every uh, breakfast, Supper and dinner, she presents me a burnt offering. And uh, so, sorry. I can get away with that today because it's Father's Day. And my wife doesn't ever do that. So, <laughs> but a father, he, his love is generous. And his love is unconditional. It's perfect. It's complete. It's mature. Notice this. The father is the initiator of love. Dads, did you wait until your child first started loving you? Before you loved your child? No. The first time you held that baby, right? 
Maybe you, maybe you put your hand on, 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 your, on your wife's belly and, and felt the baby move. I know some people, uh, some guys get weirded out by that, and it is kind of weird. It looks like an alien inside there, moving her all around. But, you know, whatever, that you started loving that child well before that child could express any love back to you. In fact, you knew that child was going to disappoint me one day. That child is going to break my heart eventually one of these days. That child is going to hurt me in a way that that, that that child will never understand. Why do we know that? Because we did it to our own fathers at one point or another. There was, there was ups and downs with our own father relationship. And we know I have a child and this child is going to give me the highest of highs and take me to the lowest of lows. I love you anyway. That's a father. And before that child could ever say, I love you, dad, dad, or, you know, some garbled sense of that, you loved that child because you were the initiator of that love. I brought it in your notes, First John chapter 4 and verses 7 through 21. We won't take the time to read that right now. But he, he talks about all the, the love of God, teaching us things like we understand what love is because God is love. Not that God has love to give, but God is love itself. Everything that we know about love, we know because God exists. If God were to die, so would love. We wouldn't, if there were no God, there would be no love because they're one and the same. It says that we love God, not because He first loved us, or not because we love Him, but because He first loved us. The way that, the reason that we love, I love God because I'm a good Christian. No, you love God because God loves you back. God loves you first. He was the initiator of that. And so a father's love is unconditional. As fathers, we are to love as God loves. Unconditionally. Generously. Completely. That's not it. He goes on in chapter 6 and he begins begins what we know as the Lord's Prayer and a lot of teaching on prayer. And we spent a lot of time with this. And and I actually hadn't planned on being in this passage this week, but it just it worked out so so beautifully. And uh, there's a whole lot more to it than prayer. Isn't that neat? When you study God's Word and you study the same spot over and over again, you're, there's still stuff there. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that was there. When did you add that? And I got an updated version. God must have changed. You know, He, he nope, second it did. No, it's still there. It's, it's been there the whole time. I just I haven't seen it. Chapter six and verse number one. He begins to talk about uh, relationships. Now let me let me try to explain that to you so you can see it the way that, the, the way that I'm seeing here. But the father teaches his children about the importance of relationships. Number one, relationships with himself, but a relationship with other people. He's going to talk about three main things for verses, the first 18 verses. He's going to talk about praying. He's going to talk about alms, which is giving, like charity. And he's going to talk about fasting. These are three spiritual works that we would do. And it's, and it's done, uh, and it has to be done with the proper motive. But what God is teaching here is the relationship with himself, praying, giving, fasting, but he's also some of those things happen to be done. If I give, I'm giving to you. If I'm uh, if I'm going to give an alms, uh, you're going to benefit from that. And so uh, he's ta- teaching about that relationship uh, laterally as well as vertically. And 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 this is and this is what a father does. A father number two cultivates relationships. Number one, he does that by knowing his children. Look at these. Look at these. With that phrase in mind, let me read some verses to you and think about how a father knows his children. Verse number one, take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your father, which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. 
But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. Now up to this point, he's just been saying, do it secretly. You don't need to be walking around. Everyone notice I want to present this $1,000 check to, you know, Gordy. You know, I'm a good guy. You know, he says, no, do it, do it, do it so sneaky that your right hand didn't even know that your left hand did it. You know, like in marriage, you know, you're, you're like, you find out that the wife did something like, did you do that? You know, what did we send them? <laughs> uh, you go to a party and like, oh, you're welcome. What is it? <laughs> uh, my wife does that all the time. My right hand doesn't know what I'm doing, you know, and I don't know what my right hand's doing. And then that's just, and that, but that's what he's saying. When you give, I want you to give secretly. I want you to give not to be seen of men, but notice why. He says in verse number four, he says that thine alms may be in secret and thy father, which seeth in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. He goes on in verse number six to say the same thing about prayer. Thy father, which seeth in secret. He continues in verse number 18 with about fasting, saying the same thing. Thy father, which seeth in secret. God is a God who is very intimately involved with his children. He knows his children. He knows because he spends time with them. In fact, he dedicates several verses here to teaching us how to talk back to him because he wants to spend time together. And he says, let me teach you how to pray. Let me teach you how to come and talk to me. And for the last several weeks, we've been looking at how simple and how easy it is supposed to be for us to just come to God and talk. Because God simply wants to spend time with us as we look back the very first week we talked about this, because that's when God can change me. He spends time with his children. He watches and he observes his children. He is intimately involved in their lives. He's not preoccupied or distracted running the world, keeping the earth spinning, keeping the seasons on cycle, and keep, you know, worried about what's going on in the Middle East. He knows about me and my little part of the world, in my house. God sees me all the way in my deep, dark prayer closet where no one else sees me. No one else knows what I'm doing in there. No one else hears me. And God says, I'm there. I'm watching. I'm listening. I'm enjoying you, and I'm, I'm understanding who you are as a person. That's a father. I mean, that's not only our Heavenly Father's action. That ought to be the actions of every father in the room. You ought to know your kids. I mean, watch, spend time with them. I know you're tired and you get off from work, and, 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 you're, and you're home, you punch in, and you punch out, and all right, it's time to get back home. And you know what? We want to sit back. It's dinner time. I want to sit back. I want to, I want to watch TV or play video games or just relax and, and, and do nothing. But you know what? Uh, that, I heard a, a great, a great, uh, uh truth from a, a man, uh, my church in Washington. He, he said, you know, you got to clock back in when you get back home. In fact, for a long time, he would pull over to the side of the road on his way home from work and get himself ready to go home to his next job with his kids. Because he didn't want to go home and be not there. He wanted to make sure his kids were, uh, he was actively uh, participating in being a dad. And that's what, that's what fathers are supposed to do. He is very connected to what's going on in his children's lives. As I said, he has a very intimate understanding of them. Not only does he know his children, but he rewards good behavior. Our father rewards good behavior. He unconditionally loves everybody, but he rewards his children for their good behavior. Let me just show you one, one example. Verse number one, it said, otherwise, the last part of the verse, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. He said it, he said it in the other verses that we just read in verse one. He said it verse four, verse six, and verse 18. He says, if you do this the right way, you'll be rewarded 
openly. You'll do this secretly, you'll be rewarded openly. He said, if you do it the wrong way, you'll get your reward. The hypocrites, they have the reward. They're seen of men. But if you do it my way, if you do it the right way, I will reward you. I have a desired behavior for you, child. I want you to live a certain way. And when you do it, and when you act that way, I'm going to bless you. That's what a father does. He cultivates the relationships, number one, by knowing his children, but number two, by rewarding their good behavior. Can you remember when you were a little kid and dad's approval was the only thing that mattered to you? It didn't matter if anybody noticed. If anybody else said, good job, I'm going to hit that ball and I'm looking into the stands. I want to see dad give me a thumbs up. Or I'm going to make that shot and I want to hear dad say, good job. I don't care what anybody else said. I don't care how big the trophy was. I wanted to hear dad say, it's my boy. Somehow we grow up out of that and, 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 and we start looking for other approval from other places. But you know what? When the relationship is as it should be, the father's approval is the highest there is. As Christians, if we have the proper relationship with our God, that's all that will matter is our father's approval. That's why I can give in secret. I don't care if you ever find out. That's why I can pray in secret. I don't care if you hear me and know that and think that I'm spiritual. My father approves. That's why I fast and I don't even try to look like I'm fasting. I don't walk around and look starving. Are you fast? Oh, I've been fasting and praying for your sin. Oh, he must be spiritual. You'll never know. Because God says, I will bless you. The father's reward is much better than anything that man can give. Number three, a father is cultivated. Not number three in your notes, but in letter C, I guess you should say Father cultivates relationships by being accessible. In verse number 9, He taught us how to come and pray to Him. Jesus taught us how to come and talk to our Heavenly Father. And with that proper relationship, 1 Peter 5-7, you can look at it in your notes later, uh, I feel that I can come to Him anytime with any problem, with any concern, with any thought. My Dad in Heaven is not too busy for me. Granted, I'm a man. I am not perfect. And I have. there have been times when my kids have come to me and I said, not right now. I'm busy. You know, and they, they always, they know when not to come, and that's exactly when they come, right? Uh, but that's, that's, I'm not God, but God who is perfect and, and holy, He, no matter how busy He may be in heaven, I don't think God is busy and sweating up there, keeping things running. He's just, He just does it at His word. But every time I come to Him, hey, it's good to see you. What's up? What can I do for you? He wants to hear. He is very accessible. And lastly, he cultivates relationships by restoring the broken ones. Verse 14 and 15, he teaches his children about forgiveness. He's in, 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 in the Lord's Prayer, it said, forgive us our debts, we forgive our debtors. But then he says after that, he said in verse 14, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. He teaches us because in every relationship, there's going to be something that comes and strains it or breaks it. And he says, I'm going to cultivate these relationships with my children. I have a very special one-on-one -on -one relationship with each of my children. We are not one big blob. We are not one, you know, the body of Christ. We all make it up. God, does, God sees you individually, though. God knows you. He indwells you specifically. He loves you specifically, individually. And He knows everything there is to know about you. He knows you better than you know your own self. And God says that's what a father does. He knows His children. And He builds this strong relationship. But because He's dealing with fallible people, sometimes that relationship is broken. Ultimate broke, broken relationship would be it in the Garden of Eden when we sinned. 
we in Adam sinned and, and, and committed trespass against God. And what did he do? He repaired it. He said, I've made a way for you to come back to me by coming to you. He initiated love. He even initiated forgiveness. Always be ready to restore the relationship, Dad. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna do things that we don't like. They're gonna break our hearts. They're going to go against our wishes. Always be ready. Like the prodigal son's father. No, he didn't go chase him down, drag him back home. He let him go. But from day one, he had been fattening up a calf. He had a robe and a ring and a pair of shoes set aside. And he was waiting on the front porch. Because when, when he came around, he said he saw him coming. He ran to him. He didn't make it hard. He was ready to, he was ready to forgive. Jesus even taught us to forgive as many times as necessary. He told Peter, forgive 70 times seven. Stop counting. Just forgive. Just be ready to forgive. Without it, bitterness grows. And so a father has a very valuable and precious relationship with each of his children. But lastly, number three, and we get into chapter six. Very quickly, chapter 6, verse 25, a father takes care of his kids. He's just a good provider. Not only does he know about his children's needs, but he also cares for them and provides for them. Verse number 25, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Go down to verse 32. He says, For all, after all these things do the Gentiles seek, but your heavenly Father knoweth you have need of all these things. He says, listen, I don't want you to worry about where you're going to get your next meal. I don't want you to worry about the, the, the drink. I don't want you to worry about your clothes. Just like a good, a, a good home the kids don't have to wonder if, how the rent's going to get paid, right? That's up to mom and dad. You know, if your kids are like mine, they want to know why we can't go to Disney World every other weekend. We just get on a plane and go, right? Eh, it takes a little bit more than that. It's a planning and a whole lot of money, right? I don't make my kids worry about that. I don't make them have to figure out, all right, well, we're going to have to save and scrim, so how are we going to do this budget, kids? We don't, I, don't, I don't make them. That's up to me. I'm dad. I don't worry about, all right, well, we're going to have to cut, you know, figure out how we're going to get our next meal on the table. You know, my kids just feel, you know, every, every, every day, three times, mom just calls them to the table and the food's there. How's it get there? I don't know. She pulled it out of the fridge. I don't know where, I mean, it just came. It just came that way. You know, the kids shouldn't have to worry about all those things. It, that's up to mom and dad. And our heavenly father does the same thing for us. How do you, what do you do to keep your heart beating right now? Nothing. It just does it. God does it. Well, how did you keep yourself alive last night while you were sleeping? You didn't. You were in la-la land having a dream about whatever. And God kept you going because that's God. He's the provider. He takes care of us. So the children don't have to stress and wonder how their needs will be met. Basically, if you read this passage and you sum it up, verse 31 and 32, he just says, stick with dad and I'll take care of everything. You just stay with me. You won't, you don't worry about where your meals are coming from. Don't worry about how you're going to get clothed. I will take care of those things. He even goes on in chapter 7 and talks about if a son, if a son asks his father for bread, am I going to give him a, a, a snake, a rock? He goes, if you're evil and you know how to give your kids good gifts, how much more does your perfect, loving, heavenly father know how to give good gifts? I am a good giver. God is kind. He is good. And he is a giver. I wonder if you could imagine growing up in a home with this kind of a father. Maybe you did. I don't know. 
A father who has this very close relationship with you. A father who knew you better than any other person alive. A father who knew the things that you loved and he knew the things that you hated and he knew what you preferred and he knew what you didn't prefer. And just a man in your home who knew you. Now imagine if your kids had that opportunity. What if your kids had the opportunity to grow up in a home with a dad who had a close relationship with them? A dad who provided for them. And those are both important things. It's not enough just to pay for them and make sure. Sometimes we think, well, I'm just going to give them all the best things and I'm going to throw toys at them and throw, you know, they've got plenty of stuff, but what they really need is me. Before they need all the things I can give them, they need me. My relationship with God. I don't need all the things that God gives me. I need Him. With the giver come the gifts. I don't want just the gifts though. I wonder if our kids would be able to grow up in a home like this. You know, you could have this relationship with the Father. Your Heavenly Father. You could make it happen for your own kids. I wonder if there's someone in the room this morning that doesn't know Christ as Savior. It means He's not your Heavenly Father. You read about this stuff and you're part of that God blesses everybody, the rain on the, on the, on all, the, the sunshine on everybody, but you've never entered into that family. Did you know that God is still adopting children today? Jesus talks about being born again. He says, all you've got to do is believe it. All you've got to do is accept it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to merit your way into it. In fact, you can't if you try. All you've got to do is accept it. Come back to the Father. Or maybe join the family.